Welcome to worship. I'm Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If this is your first time joining us, we invite you to check in and this coming week, we will send you a Starbucks gift card just to say thanks for being here with us. This is week two of our sermon series, The Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Spencer will share with us from the book of Matthew and he'll be talking about being salt and light for the world. God has a special message for each one of us. If you'd like to dig deeper into the sermon, you'll find discussion questions online at schweitzer.church next. And now here's Jen to share with us the great events that are happening here at the church that you can be a part of. Hi, I'm Jen Brown and it's June. So that means coming up next week is our family experience on June 13th, 14th, and 15th. That's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights from 6 to 8.30. We are getting ready to have a blast with school-age kids and families, which means pre-K through sixth grade. If you have kids in that group, come. If you have kids older than that, that's totally fine to come be part of this too. It's a whole family experience. We'll be having games and worship, great team building activities, obstacle courses, and we will have a blast learning and growing together as a family. We would love for your family to be a part of this summer's family experience. We just need you to sign up so we know that you're coming and we'll be ready for you. You can sign up at switzer.church kids and learn a whole lot more about it as well. Then on Friday night that same week, we're all heading out to the Springfield Cardinals game together where we'll enjoy some baseball. We'll have group seating, you'll get a hat, plus it's superhero themed night and there's fireworks. So of course you wanna come, bring friends, bring family, bring anybody you want to come join us for only $10 per ticket. Sign up today at the Blue Booth or online at switzer.church next. And one more thing, we have these amazing Schweitzer mugs available for only $20. You can pick one up today in the Fellowship Center. They are great for traveling around this summer. Plus, we encourage you to bring them back each week. Helps us reduce on paper waste and you get a bigger cup of coffee. So that's a win-win for everybody. We know these will be great as you're heading around the summer and, and it gives you a way to kind of talk a little bit about Schweitzer. So pick one up today. Thank you again for being with us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those announcements. And now we invite you, if you're worshiping with us live, to join in the chat feature. Say hi to your friends and give us your insights. If you'd like prayer, press the prayer button and someone will be with you quickly. And now let's continue in worship. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified And were the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountaintops We'd hear Christ be magnified 
must be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. When every creature finds its inmost melody, Every human heart is made of Christ. In wonder, I should hear the praise. We hear Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise. Christ be magnified. puts me in the fire I rejoice cause you're there too and I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation then I'll be crucified with you cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life if I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, oh, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. And oh, Christ be magnified, let His praise arise. As we come to this time of prayer, we thank God for the gift of prayer, the ability to talk with Him. Let us pray. God, 
We are so thankful for the blessings that you have given to each of us. And we know that those blessings are meant to share with others. We especially pray for those who are hurting today, those who are dealing with health issues, those who are dealing with grief. We pray that your hand is upon them, that you comfort them and protect them. And God, as we hear about salt and light today, we pray that we can be the salt of the earth and the light that is visible on a hill. Lord, thank you for allowing us to share our gifts with others. And now let us continue in prayer by praying the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we want to thank you for your support of all the ministries that are happening here at Schweitzer Church. One of those ministries in particular is a new ministry called Route 56. It's specifically for fifth and sixth graders, and these kids had a great time coming together this year, growing in their faith. They invited their friends, and we had a wonderful time learning about how to live in the light of God's love. We ended the year by inviting the fourth graders to come and just get a taste of what it was gonna be like this fall. The kids wanted to stay all summer long, but we needed a short break. So this fall, we'll be kicking off Route 56 again. If you were in fifth or sixth grade, we invite you to join us for this tremendous experience. And it's because of your support that ministries like this can happen. Next up, we have Pastor Spencer with week two of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's dive in. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom, care for widows, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek, give, pray, fast. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer and I'm so glad that you've joined us. Uh, today is part two of our sermon series where we're going all summer long looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is an incredibly influential and important teaching of scripture. It goes from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's one sermon that Jesus preaches about what life is like in his kingdom. And so he's gonna talk about all kinds of practical things as he works through the sermon. We're gonna spend all summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day weekend uh, reading through and studying the sermon because it's so incredibly important. 
Now, Jesus starts off his sermon with a poem. We read it last week. Jason kicked the sermon off, the series off for us. And, and so as he starts his, this, this uh, poem, this sermon with, this, with a poem, it's a poem of, of blessings. And so we read it last week, but I want to, I want to start again with this poem because it's just so important. And so here's how Jesus starts this incredibly important sermon, this poem of blessings. We call it the Beatitudes. Um, here's how it goes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes that's translated as justice, which means a little something different there, to hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are you, it kind of changes there, not just those, but you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is what we read last week. And I wanted to come back to this again because it's just so important. And we can't overstate this. That as Jesus starts this incredibly famous sermon, it's all about life and his kingdom. He begins with this poem of blessings that is a poem of blessings for all kinds of people that you wouldn't have called blessed. I mean, as he's talking to the crowds that day and he starts naming these things, these are not things you would have said, oh yeah, that person's blessed, poor in spirit, mournful. Uh, the people who are meek, people hungering and thirsting for, for justice, these are not the people you're going to put on the top of your list as, yeah, they are living the, the blessed life. No, these are people who are struggling and they got troubles. Even the people here who are like, have the admirable uh, blessings here, like the pure in heart and the peacemakers. If you think about life in their world where it's cutthroat and this, only the strong get stronger and the rich get richer, to be a peacemaker and to be pure in heart is not a positive thing. It means you're, you're going to get stepped on. This is a list of blessings, a poem of blessings for all kinds of people that you wouldn't have called blessed. Or as Jason said it last week, he said it so well, uh, the Beatitudes remind us that God sees everyone. And so as Jesus starts this incredibly important sermon, he, he gives this blessings to everyone. He's, he's inviting everyone to come and, and to experience life in the kingdom of God. Through him, there's life in the kingdom of God. And it's for absolutely everyone. As we keep reading here, we're going to pick up the very next verse, read our section for today, and here's what Jesus says immediately next. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, who, who's he talking about here? Who's the you? Well, the you are the poor in spirit, the, the, uh, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for justice, those who are persecuted, the people that you would not have expected to be blessed. Now, Jesus says, you are are the salt of the earth. And if that's hard to believe, Jesus, he even kind of says this in a redundant kind of way in the original Greek that this was written in, and that sentence, you are the salt of the earth, is, is redundant. We've translated the, the redundancy out, but a literal way of saying this would have been more like, you, you are the salt of the earth. Like there's a double you there that Jesus would have originally said, you, you are the salt of the earth. So it's more like, you, really you, even you who maybe discount yourself, you really, you are the salt of the earth. And listen to what he says there. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Not you ought to be, or you should try to be, you should try harder to be, or, or you might be someday when you finally get your life cleaned up. No, 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 Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. This is who you are now. When you belong to Jesus, this is who you are right now. You are the salt of the earth. And what does Jesus mean by that? The salt of the earth. That's a weird thing to say. 
you're the salt of the earth. But think about life in the ancient, in ancient, uh, ancient world where there's no refrigeration. Salt is used as a preservative. Salt's part of the diet that people would actually seek after. Like in our world, we eat too much salt, but, but in their world, salt was this really valuable commodity, this valuable thing that was important for life to flourish. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, it's like you really you. You are this valuable thing that everyone needs to live a full life. And then he goes on. He says, you are the light of the salt of the earth, the earth, but if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then verse 14, you are the light of the world. Again, you, really you, are the light of the world. And again, think about how valuable and important light is especially in ancient culture where there's no street lights and house lights. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when my, my cell phone didn't have a flashlight on it. And now I use a thing every day. It's so valuable to have this, this light that's just so handy to us. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's like, you really, you, you are this valuable guide, this valuable source, this valuable example that is showing the world what life in the kingdom is like. You, really you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I, I just love how this sermon starts. Jesus begins with this poem of blessings for everyone. The, the troubled, the, the, those who struggle, the people you would never give a, or think about being blessed. He, he just opens this up to everyone. And then he has this incredible word of affirmation that just when you follow him, this is who you are. Not who you gotta strive to be, not who you gotta work to be, but this is just who you are when you rest in him, that you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. It's this incredible start to this sermon. It's so affirming and so encouraging. And yet Jesus also, with this has a word of warning because the salt can lose its saltiness. The light, you know, it can be hit under the bowl. There's this word of warning that Jesus is giving us that, that uh, while we are these things, we also run the risk of losing these things. That life in his kingdom can, can slip away, that, it, that, it, that if we neglect it, 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 it can go away, that the salt can become impure and, and it's no longer salty anymore, that the light can be hidden and, and we no longer live by this anymore. And if you think about it, this is a, a loss of who you really are. If who you really are in Christ is the salt of the earth, the light of the world, then, then you run the risk of, of losing this. And, and most likely when you lose it, it's, it's not something that you lose quickly. It's something that you lose gradually. I mean, think about what happens when you put a light under a bowl. I don't think about electric light, but like a candle. Well, that candle is going to extinguish itself slowly as it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as it runs out of oxygen until finally it's out. There's a warning here. Now, I love what Jesus does because it's a common thing that he does really the whole, in the whole of the Bible. You see the Bible doing this so often is that Jesus is really, what he's doing is presenting two options of how you can live your life. You can live your life as the salt of the earth, the light of the world, or you can live your life where you're losing the salt, you're losing the light. There's two options here of how you live. And this, this two option kind of uh, dynamic is something that you see in the Bible all over the place. There's two ways to live. I think about the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about how there's some kind of people who are like a tree planted by streams of water. And then there's other people who are like chaff that's blown away in the wind. And the warning is, 
Which kind of person are you going to be? Or later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he talks about um, how there's two roads. One road is wide, one road is narrow. Which road are you gonna take? Which path are you gonna live in your life? Or, or another place, Jesus talks about how uh, there are wise builders and foolish builders, and wise builders build their house on rock, whereas foolish builders build their house on sand. And so how are you gonna live your life? What kind of life are you gonna build? What kind of foundation are you gonna have? And so this is a common biblical thing to to lay out life in terms of these two choices, two paths that you can take in order to, to live. So which way are you gonna live? One of my favorite places you see this dynamic at work is in a Romans chapter 12. And I, and I love Romans 12 because it's not a metaphor like a tree or a road or a house or, or salt and light. It's just really clear and it kind of takes away the metaphor so it makes it really, really clear. And so I wanna, I wanna read Romans 12 because it's just, I think it's so helpful because of how clear it is. So Romans 12, verse 2, um, Paul says the exact same thing, these two kinds of paths you have in life, what kind of life you're going to live. Um, and he says it like this. Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I love that. Two options. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So which kind of life are you going to live? One of conformity to the world, or one of being transformed by the kingdom of God. Two options. And this is what you see throughout the Bible. Two options. Not three, not four, not five, two. It's an either or. It's not a both and. It's an A or a B. There's no C. Which kind of life are you going to live? Is it going to be the kind of life that is living as the salt of the earth? It's being transformed by the gospel. Or is it the kind of life that is being conformed to the world where the salt is losing its saltiness. What kind of life are you going to live? Not that long ago, I was reading this, uh, this study about uh, emerging uh, generations of Americans and their faith. And so it's been like widely documented. I mean, there's newspaper articles all over the place, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, about how the fastest uh, growing uh, faith in America are the nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S, people with none faith, no faith. And so there's this fast grow, fastest growing uh, faith segment in America. There's all kinds of writing that's done about this, this demographic shift that's taking place in, in terms of our faith. And so I was reading this study recently about this. And one of the parts of the study that I found so fascinating was it was writing about, well, these emerging generations, these young adults, how do they who no longer believe, how do they perceive uh, Christians? What is their perception of, of what Christians are like? And so this study, it, it asked some really fascinating questions. One of the questions was this. Uh, they asked these you know, young non-believers, they asked, do you personally know a Christian? And 84% of those surveyed said, yes, they personally know a Christian, which just that is interesting. That 16% of young adult non-believers don't even know a believer, a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's interesting right there. But then what the researchers did, and this is what so captured my attention, is they asked a follow-up question. And they said, okay, so for those who personally know a Christian, can you see a lifestyle difference in how these Christians live? Right, you, you know these Christians, do you see a difference, a, a difference that their faith is making in their life? And what do you think the answer, how many people do you think answered yes to that question? Well, the answer was this, 15. 15% said, yeah, the Christians I know yeah, they're, they're living differently because of their faith. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear that, but the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my goodness, I hope I'm in that 
right? I hope, I hope when people look at me, they can see a difference in the way that I'm living. That's my first thought is I hope I'm in the 15% because think about it. What if someone you knew was taking that survey and they're asked this question, do you personally know a Christian? And they thought of you. And then the follow-up question came, can you see a lifestyle difference in them because of their faith? Would they say yes or they say no? Well, statistically speaking, they'd probably say no, because so many uh, Christians had this lifestyle gap between what it was they said they professed and how they actually lived, and so only 15% would say, yeah, I can see a difference in how people are living because of their faith. Romans 12, 2 comes to mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Matthew 5, verse 13, the salt has lost its saltiness. The distinctiveness, the uniqueness that makes Christians, the followers of Jesus, this example in the world, the world says, I can't even see a difference in how they live. It's like the salt has lost its saltiness. There is this call really for all of us to think about, oh my goodness, how am I portraying myself in the world? Am am I somebody that other people would see a lifestyle difference in because I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, let's look at this also from the other side. Because there's these two paths. It's the salt of the earth or it's losing its saltiness. It's Romans 12, 2, being conformed to the patterns of the world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's talk about this other side of this as well, this, this work that the gospel does to transform us, to change us, that we live in this different kind of way. So these researchers, they, they asked uh, some more questions. And uh, one of the questions they, they asked then was to Christians, because they wanted to look at this from the other side. And what is it that Christians believe and teach? And, and you know, what, what's causing maybe this lifestyle gap that some people are talking about? And, and so they asked Christians, they, they asked them a couple of questions. One of the questions they asked uh, followers, self-professed followers of Jesus in the survey was this, what is the highest priority of your faith? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we should probably wrestle with that question. What is the highest priority of your faith? What would you say to that? I don't don't know what you'd say. Highest priority of your faith. Well, here's what, in this survey, this study, this big study that was done, here's the the order, the the three top things that people came back with, that self-professed followers of Jesus, Christians came back with as the highest priority of your faith. And this is so important. I want to quote it to you. But here it is, three things. Ready? Being good doing the right thing, not sinning. One more time. Being good, doing the right thing, not sinning. I think it's fascinating, or maybe I should say tragic, (laughs) that the majority of Christians surveyed in this, in the study, would put not sinning as higher than something like, I don't know, loving God, loving my neighbor, serving the poor, practicing forgiveness, generosity, compassion, prayer, seeking the Lord, building a relationship with him. I think it's fascinating. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, our, our behavior really, really matters, but it's, it's so fascinating to me that, that we put not sinning as a higher priority than something like loving God. Now, I don't know exactly why that would be the case, but I have a theory. And my theory is that because for a lot of Christians, when we think about the work that God does in our life, we think primarily in terms of forgiveness. We think about the grace of God and we think about it mostly about the forgiveness that God gives us. And when when the work of God is mostly about forgiveness in your life, 
things like not sinning are gonna become really, really important. Because think about it like this. Um, There's a cycle that so many Christians live under and it goes like this. I bet this is gonna sound a little familiar to you. Um, I sin, that's the first step of the cycle because I'm a human, I'm inclined to sin, I'm selfish, I sin. Uh, I know I sin, so I, I, you know, I feel bad about it because I know it's not what God wants. I know it's not healthy for me or for my neighbor or, or the world, and so I feel bad about it. And so um, I am a believer in Jesus, so I, I ask for forgiveness, and uh, Jesus forgives me because he's so gracious and kind, and, and then I feel better. Um, but then not too long after that again, I sin, and I feel bad about it, and then I ask for forgiveness, and I feel better, but then I sin, and then I I feel bad about it, and then I ask for forgiveness, then I feel better, and then I sin. And sometimes it's the exact same sin that just keeps setting into my life, and I just I just don't seem to get out of that cycle, and that's just the cycle that I live in over and over and over and over and over again. And this is this is the cycle I live in. And I, and I think a lot of people live in that cycle for a couple of reasons. One, we can't imagine anything different. We just have come to assume that this is the way the life has to be, and we can't imagine something more than that. And two, because when we think about the work of God, we think about it as just being forgiven, forgiveness. But I want, to, I want to be really clear here. The work of God is so much bigger than forgiveness. It's so much bigger than this. It's, it's transformation. It's a changed life. It's a new identity. It's living as the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's so much bigger than that. You know, at our church, we, we love to talk about transformation. It's something that we deeply believe in. Our mission statement, in fact, is, is this, that we exist um, as a church because we're gonna be transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's our mission. This is why we exist, is this work of transformation, because we believe that when people encounter Jesus, their lives change. And not just like a little bit. We don't just become more moral. Like we change, our thoughts change, our emotions change, our appetites change, our desires change. We change into new kinds of people. The Bible talks about being a new creation. This is what we, ha- we believe happens when we encounter Jesus. And that this change is so much bigger than, than just forgiveness. One of the ways that we, we talk about this change, this work of God that he does in our life as is, is being more than forgiveness is we use sometimes an old metaphor to describe this. And so if you're part of our church, you've probably heard this before. At least I hope you have because it's something we use on a fairly regular basis to talk about the, the scope of the, of the work that God wants to do in us. But this is an old, old, old metaphor. I didn't come up with it. It's like 300 years old. But here's how the metaphor goes. Imagine that your life with God is like a house. Now this house, like every other house, it has a front porch and a sidewalk, it's got a driveway. And, and there was a time in your life where your life with God, you were living maybe on the front porch or on the sidewalk or in the driveway. You were living outside of a relationship with God. And for some of you, you, you spent a long time maybe on the driveway because you weren't quite sure what you believed. You weren't really sure, do I wanna go in the house or not wanna go in the house? I don't really know if I believe in this or not, but I'm curious. And so you asked a lot of questions. You, you maybe went closer to the house a little bit and then kind of came back out closer to the street because you just weren't quite sure what you believed. And some of you, I mean, you were like three streets over because you were not even close to thinking about the Lord. But the point is that, that there was a time in your life where you were living outside of the house. You were living far from God. But even when you were living far from God, God was not far from you. 
He was pursuing you and seeking after you and trying to bring you into the house, drawing you to the Father, as we might say. And this is the work of God in our life. It's this work to save us, to, to, to bring us to healing and wholeness and to bring us into this relationship with Him where we come into the house. And then, of course, there comes a point in time where we do that. We, we cross into the house. We cross this line, the threshold. You can think about the front door. You walk through the front door and you go from being on the outside to being on the inside, and it's changed now. And this, this line, this threshold you cross, you might call it the line of faith. This is what a lot of people would call this moment of salvation, or theological people might call it justification, where, where you're made right with God. You receive forgiveness, and you're, you're forgiven of your sin, and you, you're now in the house. And so for some of us, maybe, maybe that happened when you were at a church service and you raised your hand or you came forward in an altar call or maybe it happened in your own time, in your own place where you gave your life to the Lord. For me, I was 15 years old and I had this overwhelming sense. I didn't go forward in church service, but just this overwhelming sense of, of the work God has done in my life. And I just like, I trust him. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna give my life to him. And, and it, it changed my life. I went from being outside the house to inside the house. And for some people, like this is where it stops. For some people, it stops right here that we cross the line of faith, we come into the house and like that's, that's it. But the reality is that, that now that you're on the inside of the house, it's like, man, we're just starting because now we need to move in. We need to organize the kitchen. We need to paint that wall. We need to hang up the pictures. We need to put the furniture in the living room. We need to fill up the closets. We need to move into the house. And this is the work that God keeps doing in our life, the grace of God that keeps moving in our life, that our lives are transformed as the house begins to take shape. And, and this is the work of transformation. It's not just that we cross the front door. It's that, we, it's that we go past that and now God is moving and organizing our life and changing us from the inside out that he's, he's transforming us. Now, I use that metaphor a lot. Probably you've heard me talk about it. And sometimes when I'm talking to people one-on-one -on -one and I'm trying to explain the gospel, I'll use that metaphor because I just think it's so helpful that God is inviting us to this transform, transformed life. And, and there's been multiple times where I've used that metaphor and I've shared it with somebody that I've had people push back. and like, mm, I don't know about that. Because it's one thing to understand, yeah, yeah, I get that God forgives me when I cross the front door. But, but for some people, it's hard to get past the idea that maybe God can do something in my life that's bigger than I can imagine. And for a lot of people, they, they can't even begin to imagine a life that has been transformed and changed where they're moving into the house because they've become so stuck in their old ways that they can't even imagine what freedom feels like or looks like. They can't imagine that, that they might be, have freedom from that sin or that temptation. They might have freedom from the fear that they've lived in for all those years. Or they might have freedom over, you know, the living their life for the approval of others or living their life for their career or for money or for, you know, maybe, maybe it's a sin like anger. They can't imagine anger not having a hold on their heart anymore or lust or greed or, or envy. They're like, I'm just, I'm just always going to be envious of everybody. That's always going to be my temptation. But what if the Lord can actually bring victory into our lives and change us? And, and help us transform. Like this is, this is the gospel message. And so I, I love that metaphor so much because it, it invites us to imagine what if the grace of God is so powerful that it can actually change our lives? What if the grace of God is so powerful that we no longer have to conform to the patterns of this world, but we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind? What if the grace of God is able to bring freedom and victory into our lives because this is what He can do? So as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount all summer long, 
we are going to come back to this point of transformation over and over and over and over again. Because as Jesus invites us to life in his kingdom, he's inviting us to a life of transformation. He's not just wanting us to be a little bit more moral. He wants us to be changed and transformed from the inside out. He wants us to live a life that is living into the truth that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. But we need to be warned because when we neglect this, when we just walk through the front door and sit down in the foyer of the house and be like, well, this is good, well, we then run the risk of the salt losing its saltiness, of the light being hidden under a bowl because we haven't been cultivating the transformation that God wants to work in our life. As we walk through the sermon series over the summer, my hope for our church is that all of us might be able to begin to dream a little bit bigger, maybe pray a little bit more boldly about what the Lord wants to work in all of our lives, even yours. Let's pray together. So Father, today, uh, we hear your words, these words of affirmation that in you, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. This is who we are in you, that there's, there is a, a change, a life that you wanna give us that is so much bigger than what we can imagine. But at the same time, Lord, we also hear the warning that when we neglect this, now will we lose the saltiness? That we hide the lamp and put it under a bowl, that we lose the kingdom life that you want for us. And so Father, today, I, I pray that you might open our hearts, our minds, our thoughts uh, to something bigger that you wanna work inside of us. Because there are so many of us who are just stuck we have been spinning our wheels in faith and we need our lives to change. So we wanna bring our brokenness, our, our pain, we wanna bring our sin and our temptations to you and begin to ask, Lord, would you stir something within us that brings transformation? The slow work of the gospel that begins to work through us, that our minds change, our hearts change, our appetites change, our desires change because we become focused on you and not conformity to the world anymore. And so God, we give you thanks that you invite us into something deeper and richer than we can possibly imagine this changed life that we have in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this worship experience today. We wanna to thank those that made this possible, our creative team, Jen for the announcements, the worship team, and especially Pastor Spencer for such a meaningful sermon. If you think this message might be meaningful to someone else, we invite you to share it on social media. We really thank you for doing that. And now we invite you to have a great week and we'll see you back here next week for week three of the Sermon on the Mount.